Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Code of Conversations. We have our special guest, Joseph Walker, former military vet. Uh, how are you doing today, Joseph? Hey, I am doing fantastic, and I'm so glad to be here on the show with you today. I feel like I finally made it now that I'm actually on Coder Conversations. Oh, man, we're really glad to have you, man. Uh, can you give a, can you give the audience a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I come from pretty humble beginnings, um, you know, just born and raised here in southwest Georgia, uh, graduated, you know, joined the military, uh, did 10 years in the service. So uh, my first stint, I did four years in the Marines. I got out and I did six years in the Army. And uh, once I got out of the military, I uh, took an interest in sales and business development. And, you know, I did a wide range of things from, you know, inside sales, executive, uh, car sales, door-to-door sales. Um, and eventually I became a recruiter. Um, and the latter portion of 2021, that's when I decided to make the pivot and actually get into uh, software engineering. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, man. Uh, you went from the Marines to the Army. Uh, what, what made you switch branches? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Uh, so uh, I got out. Uh, I did, like, you know, my four-year contract in the Marines. Uh, I joined in 2006. I got out in 2010. Um, now, around that time in 2010, that's when there was a, a significant troop reduction. And, um, you know, I was I think I was, like, 22 at the time, and I got out and I thought, you know, I was just going to conquer the world and I had all the answers to life. And, um, you know, I was I was in for a real awakening. You know, 2010 was a pretty rough time in, you know, in our country and around the world in general. Um, you know, a lot of people were struggling and there was a shortage of jobs and the economy took a drastic downturn. So uh, I found it pretty hard, you know, not only to find work, but also just to find meaning and purpose in my life. Because, you know, I signed up when I was 17 years old and I went straight into the service. That's the only real structure that I really knew as far as professional work. So uh, and then just that that level of camaraderie you get in the military um, is second to none. So I was really missing that and I wanted to get back in. And so, you know, I went knocking back on the Marine Corps door and, uh, you know, due to the troop reduction, they threw a lot of excuses at me as to why they wouldn't let me back in. Uh, so, you know, needless to say, I went to the Army recruiting office. And true story, I walked into the office and uh, the recruiter there, he said, don't say anything. Just shut up. Let me guess. Your prior service. And I nod my head and I say, yes. And he says, let me guess. You're coming from the Marine Corps. I said, yeah, I am coming from the Marines. And he says, welcome to the Army. You know, so, uh, you know, I guess there were a lot of folks coming from the Marines. because The Marine Corps is the smallest branch in the military, right? And um, there were a lot of people coming from the Marines and trying to, you know, get into other branches. So, uh, you know, I made my home, at, I made my home with the Army uh, for six years. And, um, you know, that's pretty much how I made the transition. You know, I always tell people when they ask me, like, you know, which branch is better? You know, I mean, it really depends on you. But because I have that, uh, you know, like just, just get it done and I like challenges kind of uh, personality, the Marine Corps is, you know, better suited for me personally. Uh, but, you know, both those branches really help shape and mold the person I am today. 
And, um, you know, that's more or less how I wind up transitioning from one to the other. Never really plan on doing it, but, you know, it just, that's just how it happened. Gotcha. Uh, while you were in the Army of the Marines, did you, uh, like, deal with technology in any capacity? Did that kind of spark your interest in technology? So my, my, my jobs weren't super technical as far as working directly with technology. However, there were times in which I did actually utilize uh, like a robotic system. Um, you know, I, I, I do recall there was a time where um, I was doing some training for my first deployment. And it was really cool because they had like this new like little robot system that's going to help troops on the battlefield. And um, I got like selected to go and like train with it and go through that class. So I thought that was really fascinating. Um, and of course, you know, being overseas is different technologies that you utilize on the battlefield to kind of help out with troop movement and helping out with like communication. So, um, you know, I kind of had like secondhand experience. Uh, I was more of a user, you know, if you will, like utilizing the technology versus someone who actually kind of developed or built anything. But, you know, it did make me a little bit curious. Uh, but I, I guess at that time, I never, it's funny, growing up, you know, uh, small town, Georgia, no one becomes software engineers. No one really talks about, um, you know, doing that sort of thing. Uh, I come from a very hard working class family and um, I'm actually the only person in my immediate family that even got a college degree, uh, you know, uh, last time I checked. And, you know, it was, it's just a little associate's degree, but, you know, my whole family went crazy when they found out I got an associate's degree, you know, so, um, yeah. That really wasn't a thought to get into software or to get into tech um, because that just never was presented to me as being an option on the table. Um, so being in the military and working with a little bit of technology and robotics and stuff, it never really crossed my mind that I could be a person that could actually develop or build something of that nature. Okay, got it. So uh, when, when did you kind of feel like it was enough with the military and like, what did you transition to upon exiting? Well, I would <laughs> say when I was, cause I did a total of about 10 years of service. I would say when I was at like the eight and a half year mark, I think that's when I kind of decided that, you know what, I think I just want to go ahead and see what else is out there in the world. Cause you know, like I, like I was telling you earlier, I'm a naturally very curious person and I like trying to see what else I can do or what I'm capable of accomplishing. So, uh, you know, I was just at a point in my career where I was like a, a mid-level soldier in the army and um, I was almost at what people call the hump, you know, like, you know, you, you go all the way up the mountain and you get to the peak and now it's just kind of downhill, so to speak. Um, but I got to that hump and I was like, you know, I think I want to do something different. And I really wasn't quite sure what that thing would be. And, you know, part of my story, um, I know I, I made a published an article on LinkedIn a few weeks back talking about kind of sort of about how I transitioned out. The first time around when I got out in the Marines was very rough because I didn't have a plan. But the mm -hmm. second time around, I just, and things were better set up in the military to help veterans transitioning out. Um, and once again, this is in 2016 when I officially, you know, transitioned out the military completely. But 
Um, you know, I had a better plan moving forward. Um, you know, so that that definitely did help, you know, kind of soften the blow as far as getting out. Um, you know, but as far as just looking into technology, that didn't come until uh, you know, maybe about the last year and a half ago. Okay. So um like what what was your actual plan upon exiting the military and getting into technology? What resources did the military have for you? So at that time, uh it was just a pretty a blanket class, you know, it's called like uh TAPS, and they just pretty much, you know, you you go through these classes and they teach you how to put together a resume. And from what I've seen recently on LinkedIn, they actually kind of go over like how to network and try to like set up a LinkedIn account. So that's good. You know, they're actually doing that because that wasn't there for me back then. But um, it was just generic stuff. It wasn't anything like specific um, as far as, hey, if you're looking to get into a career like this, um, you know, then you can start, you know, network with these people. You know what? I take that back. I apologize. As a matter of fact, there were some specialized programs. And as a matter of fact, there was a program that uh, a career path that they put me on uh, to like be uh, like an HVAC or a pipe fitter or a plumber. Um, and they would, you know, allow you to go through the training, get you the certifications needed uh, so that you can actually start working and go through an apprenticeship program. So about seven years ago, they had, did have specific programs in place. Um, as far as technology is concerned, there weren't any that I'm aware of. However, I do know currently there is uh, for veterans uh, the uh, the program called Vet Tech. I know that's a really popular one, and there may be some other ones that you know I I, I may not be aware of. I know Vet Tech for sure is probably like one of the top programs that veterans can utilize. Uh, till I transition into tech. So uh, vet tech, what what exactly is that, and uh, what resources do they provide? Sure. So vet tech is is kind of like uh, you know for a lot of service members when you when you first join, uh, you get what's called like the uh, the post nine eleven GI bill, and what that GI bill does is it pays for your tuition. Uh, it can cover. It gives you like a stipend to cover you know your books. And you get what's called like a little allowance. Uh, and, you know, depending on whatever zip code area municipality that you live in, you get an allowance in accordance to where you live at. Um, and that allows veterans to go to college, you know, and, you know, get a degree in whatever chosen career field. So vet tech is kind of similar. Except instead of going to college, it's for a coding boot camp or it's for, you know, uh, uh, maybe cybersecurity or UX design. So it's, it allows you to, you know, go and do a coding boot camp. You don't have to worry about paying the $10,000, $20,000 up front. They cover the cost of that. And some of these boot camps, the, v, uh, the Veterans Affairs has to set up that um, if, like, they don't get you placed within a certain amount of time, they have to refund the money back to the VA. So um, a lot of these coding boot camps are incentivized to ensure that they get the veterans placed um, in a certain time frame upon completing the, uh, the actual training. So that's that's essentially what vet tech does. Um, and I've read, but I mean, this has been a few months back and I would have to actually recheck this. But I have read that they merit there may be certain costs associated if you go maybe 
the cybersecurity route, then they may have you like pay for like some of the SERPs or something. But other than that, as far as the software engineer path is concerned, um, it's totally covered. Do you do you have to like serve some amount of time for you to for them to help you out with all this coding boot camps? Like you know, like you said, you serve for ten years. Like, mm-hmm. what if somebody serves for like two years or something? Do they still get the same amount, like same help? I guess. That is an excellent question. So for for two years, yes. Now I think the uh, the actual cutoff time for time and service is 180 days. So I believe anyone who serves uh, and is uh, honorably discharged well, for you know within like six months or later, then they do actually get the benefits. Uh, not 100% certain. But uh, based on what I've read and what I recall, I'm pretty sure at least 180 days is what's required um, in order to get the full benefits. Okay. So there's kind of a huge gap between like getting out of the military and getting your first coding job. Um, How did you learn programming? Did you go to a coding boot camp university or? Yeah. So, you know, a lot, a lot of people have so many different paths that they take and, you know, it really just depends on your situation. Uh, for myself, I kind of had a blend um, between going the traditional route versus going like a coding boot camp s kind of course. So what the route that I chose is I actually did decide to go to school. Um, I already did have a degree in political science um, for like, you know, the uh, community college. Uh, it's like a military community college. So I already had a degree there, and I I, I started looking at software engineering um, December of 2021. So, um, and I already told you that I'm brand new, pretty much to this space. Um, I did not code my first Hello World program until January of 2022. So it's literally been exactly one year since I've been actually starting coding and everything. But I devised a plan that. Um, looking at my curriculum, if I were to take just five courses, you know, in computer science, software engineering, a couple of math courses, and, you know, some data structures and algorithms, I would literally be able to have, you know, at least my AES and computer science degree in a span of six months. So I figured that would be worth it. It would kind of make me a little bit more marketable um, as I continue my journey as far as learning how to code. So I decided, hey, why not? Let's just go for it. So I decided to kind of go the traditional route. And I went to college and I took the the formal courses. But, you know, I definitely stayed on YouTube. Um, you know, I bought a few Udemy courses, uh, you know, networked a lot on LinkedIn, which is also how I kind of came across you and coder conversations, you know, and that helped me out a lot as far as just keeping my morale up. Um, and, you know, um, but my big breakthrough was uh, actually a software. It's like a, a, a it's kind of like a staffing agency slash tech company called Reverture. And mm-hmm. they have an amazing apprenticeship program. Um, and they've been around for, 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 you know, a certain amount of time now. Uh, but they have a program where they'll take um, emerging tech talent and they will pretty much put them through a, a boot camp style training. It ranges from maybe 10 to 12 weeks or so. And upon completion of that training, they will actually set up interviews for their specific clients. Um, and upon being selected, 
you get to actually be a software engineer on that particular project. And, you know, those projects can range anywhere from one to two years. And once you're doing that project, you have that experience that everyone requires on a job application. Um, and you can now take that experience with you and go apply to other places. Got it. Uh, Roger, did you have any questions? Yeah, uh, with the reverture, right? So how do they take you in? Like, do they like do any kind of uh, interview before they take you in? Correct. So there is uh, what's known as like a technical evaluation. Um, and hey, I want to preface my response by saying this. When I first, uh, when I initially did the tech technical evaluation, they did conduct things a little bit differently. Um, I went through June of last year. Um, so it's been about, uh, about what, six, six, seven months um, since I went through. Since then, I know a few things have changed. They've changed uh, the length of time that you work there, et cetera. Um, but as far as just when I went through, there was a technical evaluation. They're going to assess your knowledge as far as like object-oriented programming. Um, they, you know, they're going to test a little bit of your knowledge as far as like SQL, data manipulation, maybe a little bit of front-end knowledge. But they just kind of get engaged, um, you know, and then upon completing that technical evaluation, if you do good enough, then they'll go ahead and they'll allow you to secure a slot in their training. Um, if you have maybe less than favorable remarks on that technical evaluation, they'll reassess and they'll probably put you in like a remedial program. Uh, it's called I think it's called like the Spark program. And it's. A couple of weeks, you know, I think maybe like four weeks and it kind of is like a refresher or it kind of helps you learn just the basics of programming enough so that you can retake that technical evaluation. And then once you pass that techie eval, then they allow you to actually pick out like a slot uh, in order to do like the training, which is like 10 to 12 weeks. So the training is pretty awesome. It's phenomenal. Uh, they train you on the latest and greatest tech stacks. Um, a caveat would be you do not get to select what tech stack that you learn. Um, that's that's a really big caveat, uh, but you do learn like the latest and greatest technologies. I'm very thankful because when I went through my college courses, Java is the language that most of my courses were in. And Java happened to be the tech stack that uh, my, my cohort got trained on. So I looked up, you know, but um, yeah, you don't really get to choose. But um, yeah, it's definitely a great way to actually get your foot in the door. Do you have to pay for it, for the, the boot camp that they're doing? Like once after the technical interview, you get in and like, do, the, do you have to pay for that? Right. So there actually is no upfront cost. Um, you know, they don't, you know, make you pay anything to go through this training. Um, and, you know, one thing I will say about the company, they are extremely transparent. Uh, but I mean, a lot of, a lot of what I'm going to say, pretty much everything that I'm going to say is listed on the website. Um, and the recruiter was going to also regurgitate everything that's on the website, but there's no cost up front. Um, whenever you do go through your training, the training is going to be minimum wage. It's going to be based on wherever you live at in the United States. So, you know, if you live in Georgia and you get selected, you're going to go through that 10 to 12 weeks and you're going to get whatever the minimum wage is in the state of Georgia. If you live in California, it'd be the minimum wage for Cali, you know. Um, but you go through the training, there's no upfront cost. Um, you don't have to pay for any uh, apps or you don't have to, 
you know, I mean, you gotta have a laptop, you gotta have a computer, of course. Um, but no, other than that, there's no upfront costs. They uh, they foot the bill, they pay you, albeit it is minimal wage, but that's kind of incentive to do well so you can get placed on a project sooner than later. But um, yeah, that's that's something that's also very unique about their program. No cost, and you know, it's a pretty great apprenticeship. How many people actually got into a project? Like, let's just say you're like 10 people. Like, how mm -hmm. many people actually got into your client? Right. So we started out with about 29 people in our cohort. Uh, it, it was probably like high 20s, maybe 25, 27, 29 people. Um, about 15 of us actually made it through the training. Um, because, you know, when I, when I got done with my training, that's when we actually start witnessing a lot of the massive layoffs and a lot of demand for a lot of clients started to drop off. Um, so it took a little bit longer to get placed. Um, but I know I made sure to keep in contact with a lot of the folks in my cohort. Um, so out of like the 13 of us that actually made it through the training, I would say maybe seven or eight of us that I know of um, got placed. So maybe a little bit higher than 50%, probably higher than that. But I know for sure at least half of us, you know, got placed, you know, like six or seven out of 13 for sure. That's pretty nice. Like, okay. So... I wanted to ask you about the wet tech part of the equation. Did they pay you for that associates that you were working towards? Uh, no. So no? Okay. yeah, because um, the company they require that that is that's a great question. So Reverture they do require you have a degree prior to being able to actually work um, as a software engineer for the company. So yeah, that is something else I do want to put out there. You do need to have a degree. Um, I didn't have a four-year degree, but I did have like a two-year associate. So at the time, that was that was good enough. Uh, but you do need to have a degree uh, in order to actually, you know, go through the training. And it doesn't matter what the degree is. Doesn't have to be computer science, but it does have to. You do have to have like some degree to, you know, or to actually attend the training. So yeah, we got a couple of questions from the audience. Uh, Brandon okay. asked. Do you get paid while in training and what's the pay like after training and once you're assigned to a project? Right. Cool. So, yeah. So, you know, when you go through the training, it is going to be minimum wage. So it's going to depend on where you live at. So, you know, whatever state you are, whatever the minimum wage is for your state, that's the amount you're going to be making throughout the duration of your training. Um, and as far as getting on a project, um, it really varies as far as what the salary is. Um, and I don't want to give out the wrong information because I know the contract did change a few months back. So it would be best to check with a recruiter um, and they can actually give you the updated information. But there is a salary range, like your first year, you make a certain amount. Then your second year, you get a substantial raise. Um, and I had a two-year contract is no longer a two-year contract, which is why I would say check with a recruiter because the information I have is kind of outdated. But if I were to sign on uh, for an additional year after the end of my current contract, you get another bump or another increase. Or you can just go and take your skills and your experience 
and go work elsewhere, you know? So hopefully that answers the question. Yep. Most definitely, man. Um, so you kind of mentioned some of the mental challenges. Um, and I know a lot of the people watching, they may be getting out of the military and they're probably wondering like, how, how do you get over not feeling like you can learn enough to become a coder and, you know, when you had to deal with all the rejection that may come from all of these interviews, how did you deal with that? Yeah, you know, um, that's a phenomenal mm-hmm. question. Um, you know, and everyone has their own coping uh, mechanisms. But, um, you know, I would just say if you, you know, you served in the military, whether it be active duty, whether it's reserve or National Guard component, at the end of the day, you had to prove at some point in your life that you have mental toughness, that you have grit, because you had to go through physical challenges, you had to utilize teamwork, you had to be mentally tough to get through basic and uh, go through all the hardships associated with being in the military. Life is hard, you know, life is hard, everyone has their own journeys and own struggles and vices, Uh, but you know, going through the military is a special type type of camaraderie um, associated with it. And, you know, there's some unique challenges that we face. So, you know, just knowing that you made it through that, that that is in your, you know, in your rear view mirror, you need to give yourself a lot more credit. Um, as far as just dealing with, you know, imposter syndrome, uh, you know, we all deal with it. Uh, it doesn't matter what level you get to from what I hear from more senior level engineers, everyone deals with it. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not a senior level engineer. I'm just a new kid on the block. But, you know, from day one, which was last January of last year till today, I struggle with, you know, uh, what they say, imposter syndrome. Um, and I, I want to say this, too. I may be a little weird, but I don't really like the word imposter syndrome. I know, like, people say it at the time, but I kind of associate the word imposter with a person who does not belong. And I just, I don't, it just doesn't see it right with me to say I have imposter syndrome. Um, You know, am I facing challenges every day? Absolutely. Um, Do I know everything there is to know? Nope, and I probably never will. But, you know, I feel like I worked really hard to be where I am. I worked extremely hard to create the position that I'm currently in. And the last thing that I would ever consider myself to be it's an imposter, but I do acknowledge I have challenges. The road is tough. The road is hard. It's paved with a lot of obstacles, and you just got to bite down. You got to stay patient with the process, stay patient with yourself, and just do the absolute best that you can. Um, that's just really the best advice I can give. Um, take it one day at a time. Sometimes you got to take it one hour at a time, um, but don't be too tough on yourself. Um get up, get some air, walk around. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, you know, you sit at your desk for hours trying to like, you know, figure out a bug or a defect. And then you just say, screw it. You get up, close your laptop, walk around for like an hour. You come back and boom, you got it. You know, so, you know, people should, excluding myself, this is, this isn't just advice for whoever was watching this live or watching the replay. This is advice for myself don't be so hard on yourself. You know, I mean, this is very important. You're probably really passionate about it, but you got to give yourself some credit, you know, and um, don't be so hard on yourself. You're not an imposter. You deserve 
everything that you're striving towards. And, you know, you just got to really embrace your process. Most definitely. So, um, yeah, we, we have another question from a longtime guest. He, he asked, um, you know, how did you translate your mi military experience to civilian life? And what were some of the challenges and what advice could you provide to other veterans that's trying to do the same thing? It's hmm. a good question. Yeah, I, I like that question. Um, you know, I would say one of my biggest selling points um, whenever I was doing and conducting myself in interviews, um, it would be really the key point of working in a team environment and problem solving under pressure. Um, those are some of the, the key like buzzwords and the key things I would really focus on. Um, I think, you know, my, especially myself included, but a lot of veterans, you know, especially the longer you're in, you get so used to just throwing around the jargon and the terminology and outside of the military, no one knows what that is. So you really, it's hard. It's really hard to figure out how you can take what you did and translate it into something that, you know, an employer can look at, read. And it makes sense and, and, and it's a value add, you know. So, um, you know, whatever it was that you did do in the military, just know you definitely had to work under pressure. You had to problem solve and you had to utilize your, your teamwork, uh, you know, in addition to problem solving abilities. Um, you know, like for, for me in the military, uh, in the Marines, I was infantry. And in the army, I was a tank gunner. So, you know, it's like, it's not really uh, an equivalent job for that in the civilian world. So, uh, you know, I, I just kind of, I, I really just had to figure out how to really take just the best bullet points uh, and just some of the core aspects of that job as far as being patient, solving a lot of problems, being under a lot of pressure, and really underscore those components in a resume, and also when I'm actually conducting an interview. So um, that's really the best advice I can give regarding that. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Roger. Yeah, so the current active military people, like what advice can you give them if they want to transition into tech, like right after, you know, they leave, they get um, discharged, I guess, yeah. Start networking now. Definitely network, network, network. Um, definitely start working on your, your resume. Start branching out, reaching out. Um, you know, go through coding. Learn what your resources are. Uh, check out the Vet Tech program. Be super proactive. It really does hurt my heart when I reach out to my friends who are currently active duty and, you know, several of them are at a more senior level. And, um, you know, I said, hey, you should get on LinkedIn, man. You know, this is where it's at. You know, you should network. You start building up that network. And, you know, I'll be more than happy to, you know, be like a warm contact and introduce you. And they put it off. They said, no, I don't have to do that. It's really hard because, you know, you're so used to just that structured environment. And, you know, like I said, a lot of them are, kind of sort of at like, you know, the top of the food chain or they're getting there. Um, so it's kind of hard to really shift your paradigm into, hey, I need to start networking. I, start to, I need to start reaching out to people. 
uh, and, and building up my brand and promoting myself and translating what I've done up to this point into uh, viable bullet options or, or, you know, value adds uh, in the civilian sector. So that's really hard, but be super proactive, um, you know, seek counsel, uh, you know, seek counsel when you go through TAPS, uh, seek counsel for people who are currently already transitioned, um, you know, who may have massive success in the industry or in the field that you're currently looking at getting into. The biggest thing is just having a plan and also making sure that you have a good support system that has your back, whether it be your spouse, whether it be, you know, uh, you know, saw a couple of buddies who've already transitioned, um, you know, or other veterans who you just network with, um, such as myself. I'm more than happy to connect with anyone who's trying to transition because I know what that feels like. And, you know, sometimes it can be a very rough transition. And I kind of even oftentimes I even say as a veteran, you know, that's, you know, been in and out twice. Sometimes you never really fully transition out, you know, um, there's still kind of that void a lot of times, you know. So um, it's really important that once you get out of the military, whether you're active duty, National Guard, Reserve, there's going to be a void. And you have to be prepared for that. You have to be psychologically prepared for that void. And you have to understand you need to fill that void. And when I say void, I mean that sense of duty, that sense of purpose, that sense of having a mission to get ready for. Because you spend a lot of your life, a huge chunk of your life, getting ready for the next mission. Once, you know, once again, I joined when I was 17. I didn't get out till I was 28. So getting out and not having a mission, you know, it was it was almost traumatic. You know, so you gotta have a mission, you gotta have something that you're striving towards and making sure that you have a support system in place. And also having a plan uh, that's going to ensure that you're going to be successful. Got it. Yeah. You mentioned uh, networking as one of the most important things they can do to prepare themselves. Uh, what are some tangible ways that they, that they can network to uh, effectively be able to get these job interviews? Well, I would definitely say, uh, you know, being live uh, on like social platforms such as LinkedIn, um, definitely reaching out, connecting with people but also just creating content and also sharing your journey. And, um, you know, that's definitely something that I myself am really working hard on. Uh, I want to actually ensure that I'm posting more consistently on LinkedIn. And I know that's something I kind of mentioned, you know, prior to starting up this uh, the podcast. But, um, you know, I used to consistently post on LinkedIn. And, you know, um, it's amazing with LinkedIn, you know, the amount of organic reach you can get. And, just by posting consistently about your journey uh, going into tech and transitioning out in the military, you have no idea who's going to come across your content or who's going to share your content and the right person is going to come across it and then they can connect you to your next job. So um, some tangibles, definitely just letting people know you're here. Let people know that you exist um, and share your journey um, you know, like like well, like what I'm doing now. I've never uh, spoken about my journey into tech or transitioning out in the military. I never have. Um, I've done videos and I've written content, uh, blogs and, and whatnot, but I never really touched on my military journey and transitioning and being interested in getting into tech. 
So uh, it's really important to share it because um, number one, sharing your story is very powerful. Uh, it, it has a tremendous impact on other people who may need to hear your story at a particular rough spot in their life. But it also puts you on the radar of other people that you may be able to collaborate with in the future. Most definitely. Um, Eric got a couple of more questions. He said, I see opportunities for companies to hire more veterans as part of their DEI diversity. What do you think can be done to improve this? Uh, he said, I've been fortunate to have worked with many veterans and feel that they're overlooked. And his other question was, what opportunities in the private sector do you see for veterans or for those currently serving? Okay. Um, well, the first part of the question, he was, uh, I guess he was asking, um, well, more companies looking to actually at more veterans or, or what's the value add to that? Yeah, what what opportunities for companies to hire more veterans as part of their DEI? Like, uh, let me see. I, I see opportunities for companies to hire more veterans as part of their DEI diversity. What do you think can be done to improve this? So, okay, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you know, I do know. Um, I've I've been made aware of a few uh, organizations that are actually taking the initiative to get more veterans hired. When I first got out. Um, you know, I went to like the yellow pages. Um, it was like the earlier 2000s. So it still kind of was still a thing back then. And, uh, you know, I remember going through the yellow pages and there were actual organizations that were focused on placing veterans. So there are organizations. I think one, one of the more prominent ones is like, uh, vets, vets for hire or vets. I, I don't want to get the name wrong. Uh, but I do know like in my last article, I did actually mention them. Um, so if you actually go to my, my profile and check the article I made about vets and tech, um, it should name the, uh, one of those organizations. But there's a lot more organizations popping up um, by veterans, for veterans, to do exactly that, which is get more veterans placed in jobs, placed in roles, and most importantly, get them into tech. I mean, I'm sorry, what, what was the, uh, the second, second part of the question? Sure. Um, what opportunities in the private sector do you see for veterans or for those currently serving? Oh, wow. Um, lots, lots, lots of opportunity, you know, because, you know, we bring, you know, that that factor of having that mental toughness. We know what it's like to have to hit tough deadlines and work under pressure sometimes working up well i guess hostile environment but hopefully you're not working in a hostile environment nowadays you know but we bring that that x factor um you know that leadership capability the ability to manage and multitask so i see a plethora of opportunity for veterans in the private sector um and it's just like i said a matter of taking actionable steps to ensure that you put yourself out there you know, are you networking? Are you putting out content? Are you sharing your story? Are you sharing your journey? Like, you know, it may not seem like much to say, uh, create a LinkedIn post, say, hello, world, you know, I'm making my first program and it's, you know, going to be whatever, a to-do app. And I don't know what I'm doing, but it's going to be fun. I mean, people really do underestimate how powerful sharing your journey is. 
Mm-hmm. It may not seem like much to you because, you know, I'm new to this and, you know, I'm not a senior developer and I haven't built a ton of things. So who's going to care or listen? But that is so powerful to document what you're doing just because, honestly, think about it. If you are an employer and you're looking to hire someone, you got the one person and they have zero presence. You know, there's no digital forensics on this person. And then you got this other person. And yeah, they've only been, you know, programming for about six months. But, you know, you see a couple of contributions on their GitHub. You see that they're posting, you know, once or twice a week about their journey. You can see that they're taking the initiative to learn about how to program. And they're actively trying to get better and they're actively networking who do you really want on your team, right? Who do you think is going to be a better fit? So I, I try to, I mean, I understand looking at it from the eyes of a person who is brand new because I'm still brand new, but I also see the value in thinking if I'm an employer and I'm looking at who do I want to bring on board to my team, I think about marketability as well. And what are some things that I can do to make myself more distinguished from the rest of the competition? So, you know, I keep that in mind uh, and I say just that would be the best thing to do in order to stand out and get into any kind of role that you're looking to pursue. Yeah, I want to talk about the marketability marketability point too. It's because like whenever a recruiter or a hiring manager is looking at you, all they know is, oh, this is just Joseph and this is his resume. He doesn't know what you're working on. He doesn't know what things you can and you can't do until you get the interview. But for you to get the interview, he needs to know what you know. So it's like, it's like a cycle. So you need to put the content out there. So they know that, Hey, this guy knows this, this, this He's actively working on, you know, Java, this, the, all these languages. So at least I like call him to the interview. If he doesn't know anything, if it, like, basically it's a mark, uh, you have to market yourself. Hiring yep. like, all this networking and everything is always market mark. You have to market yourself. You have to be the guy who's out there, who's putting out the most content, even though you don't have deep knowledge in few things, it's better to put yourself out there because people know that you are there. If they don't know you don't exist, they're not going to look for you. They have, they have to know that you exist and you know, these things for them to hire you. Yeah, absolutely. Man, we asked you a, a, a ton of questions, man. Do you have any questions for us? Ooh. Wow. Well, um, I would like to know what inspired you to actually launch this podcast, you know, colder conversations, and I'll really, you know, try to take your branding to the next level and create a platform here in the LinkedIn space. Well, what, what inspired you to do that? Sure, man. It was uh, several reasons. Um, you know, <clears throat> me and my friend uh, Brian, he, he's come on the show a couple of times way back. Um, we used to always talk about like entrepreneurship and, you know, finding that next opportunity because like, as you can see now, man, uh, with inflation, it's going through the roof. So you might have gotten a big raise, but it's just wiped out because everything's more expensive. So I don't necessarily ever feel like uh, you're going to get ahead just by being in corporate America alone. So you got to start planning and having side opportunities you know you have to do something with that money when it comes in or slowly but surely you know 
a lot of people are headed towards poverty. They're really struggling now. And as you can see, uh, a lot of these corporations, they don't really value us that much because it ultimately comes down to the bottom line. You know, uh, Microsoft just laid off 10,000. My, my timeline was nothing but people who got laid off, you know? So, you know, you can make a very good salary in this industry, but you also have to be aware, like, I'm going to take that money and I'm going to do something with it. Uh, I'm going to invest it. And, uh, you know, there's, there's another big problem uh, is, you know, honestly, you know, in, in the black uh social media dialogue you know if you go on youtube and all of this and that like the, the dialogue really isn't that helpful like i, I see this, this is just me being truthful i see like a lot of the black male youtubers arguing and fighting amongst each other you know and there's not a lot of talk about stuff that's really going to help somebody out you know what i mean um you you know i love sports but us talking about sports all day it's not gonna help any of us out in our career you know there's nothing wrong with that you, you know you can consume that in moderation but you have to have an alternative that people can consume that's actually going to help them out so you know when you combine a lot of these factors um you know it really made sense for me to just go ahead and and do what i said i was going to do you know uh, it's, it's easy to sit around and talk about it all day like yeah i'm gonna start a podcast uh, this guy on YouTube, he's making a million dollars opening packages. Why can't I do that? And, you know, how do I know I can't uh, blow something up? You know, I have to I have to try, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, me and Terrence, we started putting out a few episodes and uh, we interviewed Roger early on. And, uh, you know, he, he really liked what he saw. You know, we liked what we saw in him. We brought him on. So, you know. Uh, it's been a really interesting journey, man. Uh, the next step is really, you know, improving the branding in a lot of ways. So if, if you watch the early episode, you can see the the camera look, you know, the camera quality wasn't good. So we invested in cameras. Audio wasn't that great. You know, invested in audio equipment. We're really making a move to get more professional, uh, improve the marketing, get more visibility. And you know, once you're able to present that professional product in front of a wide audience, that really opens up a lot of uh, opportunities. So say, for example, if we get a million subscribers, that, that allows us the opportunity to, you know, maybe sell merchandise, T-shirts. Uh, we're able to help a lot of people. You know, um, I know you, you remember Brian Pulliam. We interviewed him a couple of times. You know, he has a lot of uh, excellent advice. We're actually able to help out you know, guys who are trying to get their coaching career started by giving them that visibility. You know what I mean? And uh, another thing that I also want to do is I know a lot of people are struggling. You know, some of my friends are struggling. I want to be in a position where, like, if they need a little extra money, I'm able to employ them and say, hey, man, uh, you know, help me out on this podcast. Give you a little extra money. You know, so there's several reasons. Um, and yeah, for, what about you, Roger? What made you want to come aboard? Ah, uh, okay. Honestly, like I, when I first commented on your LinkedIn post, that's how I came onto the podcast. I had nothing going on in my life. I was just like cruising through my life. Then I was like, okay, let, let me just comment. Let me be on the podcast. There's, uh, I felt like I needed some kind of change. I needed to do something to be, do something else. So I was like, okay, let me be on the podcast. And once I was on the podcast, I felt like I like how it was going on. 
I felt like I gained a lot of knowledge and even though I'm like basically like I have two years of experience but I can give knowledge back to people and I'm here to learn from others and also maybe help out others at the same time I may not have like I may not giving the knowledge I'm pro- giving the knowledge that I got from others I'm learning in the sense like I'm growing a lot like every interview that I've been through that like, there is something to grow there is something to learn because software development is not about just like one race or one gender or one person doing everything you need innovation you need other people's opinion you need different people to come on you need you need to see from everybody's perspective on how they look at software development and what they learn and you learn through their experiences and you grow and that has helped me out a lot even at my work so that's the reason like i keep on coming over here maybe i can help somebody out and also help myself at the same time yeah great answer man <laughs> yeah yeah you know it, you know and i this podcast like i said you know i think this may be one of maybe two podcasts that i may actually when i see a notification i click it you know um cuz this podcast is especially i love it when uh, you know you and terence uh, you know you guys come on and you know you just talk about what's going on in the news about open you know chat gpt open ai and, you know just all the things going on in the world the massive layoffs and whatnot. it's just nice it's just like a nice space you just hop on and be able to actually, you know catch up on what's going on also a source of motivation and kind of like a recharge, you know, if you will. So um, I definitely do appreciate what you're doing in this space. And you're absolutely right. I 100% agree that, you know, a lot of the dialogue in the Black community, um, it isn't really conducive towards better outcomes that we should be seeking. And, um, you know, just coming up, there really wasn't, you know, uh, much uh, encouragement to, uh, you know, yeah. become an engineer or, you know, an attorney um, you know, it's just, you know, being an entertainer, you know, or, you know, a musician or yeah. going to sports, you know, which is fine. Like you said, perfectly fine. But we can also be engineers and attorneys and doctors um, and things of that nature. And it's really great to, once you're in that position, show people that it's possible, you know. And I mean, that's really just the biggest message that I eventually want to also start, uh, you know, showing people is that, you know, we can do it and we're here and, um, you know, there's plenty of room for a lot of us. Absolutely, man. I love the fact that, you know, like people of all colors and races are able to come on here and collaborate and, you know, spread knowledge, you know, but yeah, you know, going back to your point of, you know, the black community, man, growing up, you know, especially in the nineties, uh, what we saw on TV was gang banging, you know, uh, being a player, all of that, you know, being an entertainer, basketball player. And realistically, man, it seemed like you get more celebrated if you was coming out of prison than graduating, you know. Uh, there, There's all kinds of love, accolades and things of that nature for people getting in trouble versus people who are doing the right thing. So, you know, you have to be strong mentally to not fall into those traps, you know. So that's kind of like one of the things I also wanted to do was provide more images of things you can aspire to. Like, you know, they see me, you, Raja. It's like, okay, you know, we could do this too, you know? And uh, 
And, you know, more than seeing it, we're, we're literally giving them the tangible path to it. Like we've done it like, uh, and, uh, one of the biggest things for me, man, I, I was making, uh, $11 an hour until I was 30 years old. You know, I was 30, you know, living in Colleen, really small town. I was stuck living with my parents, living under the poverty line. I'd have to file taxes and, uh, you know, I did have my degree in accounting, but there was no opportunities in that town. So just by me uh, studying, programming, and moving to DFW, much bigger city, in six and a half years, you know, I was able to, you know, get well into the six figures. You know, total compensation, if you're taking everything into account, I'm making over 200K a year, you know. So going from under the poverty line to that in six and a half years, and I'm I'm trying to tell everybody I'm not anything super special, you know. I'm not like a super genius. The the one thing God blessed me with is a hard work work ethic and being persistent. Like you yeah. keep going, you might fail. Uh, you you look at what happened, why did you fail? Then you adjust. You just do this over and over and over until you get that the results that you're trying to achieve. And you know that's that's one of the big messages I want to put out there. It's not about being a super genius. It's about being persistent enduring until the end you know that's right man persistence beats resistance you know you know i mean one of the biggest messages that whenever i connect with people and you know and i'm pretty sure this happens to you a lot more often but you know when people reach out and they say hey you know you have any advice as far as how to like, get into tech um you know i asked them a few questions about what they're trying to do what's their time frame but I always make sure that I always include whatever you do, don't quit. Do not give up. Only way you're not going to make it in is if you quit. You know, it's exactly. going to be hard, but it's going to be well worth it. Exactly. And I know Roger can attest to this. Like, there's times where the problems seem like they're insurmountable. You know, sometimes it seems like there's nobody that's going to help you out. And you, the problem is just on you. You're stuck with it. And, uh, you know, like you mentioned, sometimes you might have to walk away, but uh, if you keep at it, somehow the answer just comes to you. Honestly, like from what I've seen from all these interviews, like what other people can get from all these interviews is that anybody can get into tech. Like, honestly, like you deserve it. If somebody is trying to transition into tech, you deserve it. Don't think that, hey, like I can't make it. There are probably like millions of people just like you who think the same way if you do if you think you can't make it you're not gonna make it just tell yourself that you deserve it and watch all these videos and you have seen people from every walks of life get into tech you can get into tech and also tech needs you they need different people because if the same people stay there, you're not going to get any innovation. You're not going to, like, tech is not going to go to extreme lens without other people actually getting into these tech spaces because they bring a different perspective. Every person that you meet, if it's a different race, different gender, like all kinds of people, they bring a different perspective to your team or to your company. And that pushes, like, technology to, the, to its extremes. No, yeah. most definitely and uh you know I, I got one more point to make on that um the the big thing about this industry is a mental game it's a you have to learn how to control your psychology uh, if you talk to most of us who got in uh hundreds of interviews 
you know, nonstop interview, round after round after round, it's uh, nonstop failure. But, you know, the person that got the job was the one that just didn't quit. They just took the knowledge from that failure, uh, you know, got rid of the, the bad points, took the good points, strengthened that and tried again. Like each failure literally moves you closer towards success if you don't quit. You know, um, I, I believe like a lot of times formal education kind of teaches us the wrong thing. Like it teaches us if you fail, you're bad. You need to be held back. You you're stupid. You're, you know what I mean? It teaches us to fear failure, whereas uh, in real life, failure is part of the process of a stepping stone. You need to learn how to deal with failure and grow from it. But it's literally what's going to push you towards success. If uh, you feel if you if you always stay in the safe zone, if you always stay away from failure, you're never going to grow. Yeah, one thousand percent, one thousand percent. And, you know, one thing that I definitely have learned is everything that you want in life is outside of your comfort zone. And just to piggyback off of what you said regarding fear, I know people they have like all these little acronyms that they create for fear, like, you know, fear everything and run or forget everything and rise, you know, people like, you know, kind of play with different acronyms. But, you know, my take on fear is you need to kind of learn how to flip it. You know, and what I mean is, you know, fear is real. Um, there's no no getting around that. You know, we all have fear. We all experience it, uh, whether it's asking for a promotion or getting ready for a job interview. But my take is understand that you have fear embrace the fear but you have to kind of flip your perspective of that fear because yeah it's scary to be going into a job interview and you hope that you don't screw it up or you you know say the wrong thing but instead of being fearful of that think about being afraid of what will happen if you don't take the interview if you don't try to take the action to change or pivot into a different industry and change the entire trajectory of your life what would happen if you don't do that? That's what you should be afraid of. So when it comes to looking at the rejections or screwing something up in an interview, you know, that sucks. I get it. But you need to be fearful of what would happen if you don't take the action, if you don't ask for the promotion, if you don't try to break in the tech, if you quit and you stay where you are, what's going to happen to you, your family, and, you know, the entire trajectory of your entire life? You know, so, you know, fear is great. You should embrace it, but you just need to look at fear from the right perspective. Yeah. Uh, honestly, like I like this quote, which says regret is worse than rejection. Mm -hmm. If you are going to change something, like, let's just say you don't want to do the boot camp, you change it. It's okay, but do not regret it. though, Because once you start regretting, it's going to get much worse than you actually getting all those rejections from those companies. Exactly, man. And uh, fear rejection, that's that's a huge uh, impediment for us to to really make progress. We often undervalue ourselves, like, say, for example, you, you want to negotiate your salary. Um, you know, a lot of times we're going to go for a lower number because, oh, I don't want to be rejected. Like we, we imagine that the company is going to do something other than just say no. You know what I mean? So we leave a lot of money on the table. We leave a lot of opportunities on the table because fear combined with that picture of rejection, it makes us take the safe route. And uh, sometimes, man, I think if you really want to make progress, you have to be bold 
and take that risk. You have to jump into the danger a little bit. And what was the worst that can happen? Oh, no. You know what I mean? Like um, we were actually able to get some of the bigger interviews on this platform just by going out and asking somebody like, why would Kyle Simpson come on the platform? And we have uh, 25 subscribers, you know, we just reached out and asked them. So sometimes you just got to be bold. And if somebody says no, uh, I've been told no a lot of times. I just forget about it and I just focus on the yeses. Mm-hmm. Yep. Each no gets you that much closer to that one yes. Exactly. Man, uh, where, where do you see your future going like maybe four or five years from now? And what are the some of the side ventures you, you uh, are, are looking into? Well, you know, as far as, um, I guess, side ventures, you know, one thing I do want to do, uh, you know, I did mention, you know, prior to starting, uh, you know, this this podcast, I did some work in the uh, the finance vertical. And I would like to uh, get back to really blogging. I want to actually launch a new blog later on in this year. So uh, I definitely do look forward to that because I love to write and, um, you know, just curate content uh, in that medium. Um, so definitely be on the lookout for that. Um, you know, and I also do want to get back into creating videos as another form of content. You know, uh, I do have a YouTube channel that's been lying dormant for like the past year and a half, you know, so I want to look forward to, you know, blowing out the cobwebs on that and, uh, you know, getting that rebound. But um, as far as career trajectory in the next, you know, two, three, four, five years, um, you know, I would say my view is kind of it's kind of flexible. Um, you know, my current role, I'm definitely growing, uh, getting better every single day. Definitely a lot of challenges, but that's to be expected. But um, I think I'm not really going to, I guess, truly assess what direction I want to go to maybe around like maybe the year mark. Uh, and that way I can kind of reassess you know, the journey and um, kind of figure out where to go from there. Um, obviously, I want to do bigger and better things. Um, and, you know, I will say this. I am very intrigued by quantum computing. I think that's very interesting, just uh, having my eyes, you know, on the, uh, the quantum space. Because I know I, I did tell you that I was looking at going into science. I was looking at becoming like a theoretical astrophysicist. I thought that would be really cool to do. Until I discovered it would take like seven to 10 years minimum. And then I'm like, uh, I think I need to go a different route. So, you know, I got into like computer science in college and, you know, software engineer. But uh, I still am very much interested in quantum computing and how that's coming along and how that's developing. So, um, you know, maybe doing something in that vertical, that niche. But uh, I guess time will tell. So hopefully I'll come back on the show, you know, in the near future and, you know, we can circle, circle back around and see where I'm at then. Yeah, most definitely, man. Feel free to stop by anytime. But yeah, man, uh, Roger, did you have any uh, closing thoughts? All right, man, we definitely appreciate you. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, my only thought is, like, don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone. Like, Joseph got out. Like, you know, like you got out, like there are a lot of other people who got out too. So if anyone's watching this and they're trying to get into tech, do it, jump into that ocean. 
And uh, yeah, if, if if any of the viewers have uh, any questions for any of y'all, are are they able to reach out to y'all on LinkedIn or email? Yeah, LinkedIn is perfect. Hit me up on LinkedIn. That's gonna be the number one easiest way to get in contact with me. Whether you just wanna just reach out, connect, coffee chat. Uh, you know, you got an idea for collaboration. Um, you know, like my mom and my sister or my family member, they'll text me. Like, how come you're not answering the phone? Like, hey, should be a message on LinkedIn. Like, that's where I'm at. You know, so LinkedIn, that's the place to be. Uh, reach out to me, you know, keep me up in the DM. And, um, yeah, we can converse. All right, man. We appreciate everybody for tuning in, man. We appreciate you for coming on. And, yeah, we'll definitely have you back. All yeah, right. Hey, I look forward to it, man. It was so great being, uh, you know, on Coda Conversations. And this is my podcast debut. So, uh, you know, I had a great time. Oh, man, you did a great job. We'll catch everybody next time. Peace.